0: Our scripture lesson this morning is not the one that's in the bulletin. It's from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 29, which you can find on page 62 of the New Testament section of your pew Bible. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to the lawyer, What is written in the law? What do you read there? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But, Wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church.
1: Good morning. As Clover mentioned earlier, I served as a pastor for about 10 years here in the Denver metro area, um, up in Arvada to be specific. And it was during that time that something happened to me that changed the trajectory of my life. A number of our faith leaders, mainline churches, evangelical, Catholic leaders, began to become friends in that part of the city, and we began to dream and to pray about what it would look like if we started to act like we were on the same team. And it was a very novel concept. And uh, as a result of that, we started to have these little community conversations. So we would bring in the mayor or the police chief, the city manager, and we would put all the the pastors in the room, the priests in the room, and we would just ask that civic leader to teach us about our city. And then we would always ask them the same question. We would just say, you know, if you could wave a magic wand and change something in our city, what would you change? Where, where do you feel stuck? And it was about eight years ago, I was sitting in a room with all these leaders from Arvada, and we were in there with our mayor. And when we asked him that question, he said, you know, if you if you could just do one thing to have a huge impact on our city, I would encourage you to think about starting some kind of a neighboring movement. And he went on to say, you know, what we're learning at the city level is that when people are in relationship with the people who live closest to them, there's a lot less weight on all the programs that we're trying to create and sustain for people in need. He said, you know, we can start another program and raise another bucket of money for people who are isolated and elderly and who don't have family around them, or that person could live in an apartment or on a block where they're actually known and cared for by their actual neighbors. He said we could start another Boys and Girls Club, which are great, to reach out to kids who are missing a parental figure, or a kid could live in a neighborhood, in a community, where the people around them, other healthy adults, are bringing them into the fabric of their family. And then he said this beautiful line. He said, what we're learning at the city is that relationships always trump programs. Now, I want you to imagine that you're, imagine you're a pastor, priest. Imagine you make your living helping people to orient their lives around this, around the text. And now imagine what it feels like when God uses your mayor to tell you that the smartest thing you can do in your city is to get your people to do the most basic teaching in this book. It doesn't feel great, in case you're wondering. I, I still remember like, being in that moment and going, oh no, this is super embarrassing. And it was also very, very convicting. When Jesus is asked to boil the entire text down to one thing, it says to love God with everything you have and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I remember driving home from that meeting back into my neighborhood and there was like a hundred thoughts going through my head. The, the two that I remember very distinctly were this. I had this thought. I thought to myself, Jesus is smart. Is it possible that when Jesus gets asked to boil the entire text on one thing, is it possible that he gave us as believers a very simple strategic plan that if we did it, it would change the world overnight? That was my first thought. My second thought was this. I just realized I wasn't actually doing it. I was driving back into my neighborhood and I was thinking about how much intentionality that I'm putting into the relationships with the people who live right around me. And if I was really honest, when I was in that moment with, because it's just myself, I thought, I'm not doing very much at all in this area. Now, I was involved in a lot of good things. As a pastor, I was trying to help people figure out life with their kids and their marriages. I was sitting on uh, the boards of three different nonprofits. But I had filled up my life with all of these ways to love my neighbor that I chose to do that I actually didn't have margin to engage with the people that God had put right around me. And I went in that day and I told my wife, Lauren, what had happened. My wife's been ahead of me in most things in life. And she just looked at me and she just said, what are you going to do about it? And I didn't want to have a lot of accountability. And so what I told her is I said, you know, I'm just going to try to spend some more time in the front yard. And then just see what happens. <laughs> and I actually did it. And that one little act, that one mini act of obedience that I took eight years ago, has totally messed up my whole life. It has hurled me into relationships with people that I would never choose to hang out with, with people who have different interests and passions and skills than I do. There's something about proximity-based relationships that are it's really unique and it's really special. And if you're willing to lean into some awkward moments and get to the other side, what I've learned is some of these relationships are people that have filled in voids in my life and that I've been able to fill in theirs. And they're some of the best relationships that I have. As all of this was going on, the meeting with the mayor and everything, I just started to read the text. With new eyes. like I I started to read through passages that I had looked at hundreds of times before that I had taught multiple sermons on, and they just started to come to new life. If you've been here over the last three weeks, you know that this text that we're looking at today, we've actually looked at three times, I think, in the last four weeks. Ian taught on it, Clover did, and I'm going to share about it as well because it's really, really important. And in this passage, this this is lawyer, the attorney, comes to Jesus and he just asks a really simple question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is one of those moments in the Gospels where Jesus gets the person asking the question to answer their own question. He knows like something bigger is happening here. So he looks at this man and says, what do you think it is? And this man, he gives the textbook perfect answer. Love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I remember all of this stuff was going on for me. And then I remember reading this next part. And it just, you're just like read the text. And then something just comes screaming off the page. You like see yourself in the text. This is what happened to me when I read this, this verse 29. It says this. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? His first thought, like he gives the perfect answer to his own question. And his first thought is, how do I get out of this? I wonder if I can find a loophole. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, Jesus' neighbor, but like, what does that really mean? I somehow ended up as a pastor who found a loophole and got out of thinking that when Jesus says, love your neighbor, that he actually meant my real neighbors too. And what I've learned is that in our culture, most of us as Christians have done that as well. We see this powerful teaching around love your neighbor, and we turn it into this metaphor. We, we, we make it so big and so nebulous that we kind of distance ourselves from actually thinking that it might mean the person who's sleeping 40 feet away from us. And what happens is, is we, when we make like everybody our neighbor, often nobody is. When you aim at everything, you usually hit Nothing. And what God did to my friends and I is that he put us in this room with our mayor and confronted us with the fact that we weren't really engaged with the people who live closest to us because we were too busy doing other types of ministry and other things, and that there's great power in just drawing a circle around the places that you live and begin to work out from there. And so what I did is I just started to have a series of mildly awkward conversations with people that I saw all the time, people that I had met multiple times, but they weren't important enough for me to remember their name. And I just started to walk across the street and see somebody while they were mowing their lawn or while they were going to their mailbox and just say things like, hey, listen, I know we've lived next to each other for two years. I know I've met you three times. This is really embarrassing, but I forgot your name. And there was something in just doing that And then, by the way, I just started to write them down. Started to, like, put this little thing on my refrigerator. And I just started to write down their names in a place where I would see it and that I could remember it. And God did something to me. Like, all of a sudden, these people who were just, like, people who drove a certain color car, had a certain number of kids, that did a kind of activity because I saw the sports equipment. So, like, all of a sudden, you start learning somebody's name, and you start using their name when you see them, and all of a sudden, these started to become, like, real people with real stories. The simple act of just thinking, this person is worthy enough for me to ask for their name, to learn their name, to remember it, and then to use it when I see them. Just doing that started me down this path that I couldn't stop. Now, some of my neighbors don't want to be my friend. They're like, I've learned their name, I use their name when I see them, and that's, all, that's where it stopped. They're like really busy. And they, like, come home, and they, like, pick up their kids, and they go do a bunch of activities, and then on the way back in, they grab fast food, and they come back in, they pop their garage door open, and they get their car in, and they get their garage door down, and then they go and detox from their day, and then they wake up the next day, and they do it all over again. And so I try to, like, you know, ask them if they want to come over and watch a game, or, like, just try to, like, you know, super small talk, and they just seem really, really busy. And I have a lot of grace for that, because I think that's the way that my neighbors experienced me for most of my life. Some of my neighbors, the moment I started to lean just a little bit towards them, they started to lean back. Some of my neighbors, I've learned, are dying for something that's just a little bit below the surface. And I think it's worth us just kind of asking and thinking about, what would it look like if the people who are serious about following Jesus the people who actually think like the way that Jesus talks about living really is the best way to live, what would it look like if we were the kind of people that started to lean towards the people who God has put around us? What would it look like if Montview, just the community here, was willing to be like, imagine like the number of lives that could be touched if just this incredible local church community said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to actually do this. We're going to take the great commandment, literally and seriously. And I want you to know that, like, every time I share a little bit of my story, there's people that will come up to me afterwards, and I'm just going to preempt you right now, and they'll say to me, they'll say, Dave, I, like, I'm really engaged with my kids' soccer team, the parents on that team, or the grandkids, you know, like, Dave, I'm really passionate about my work relationships and what I'm doing there, and... or." I love what's happening at the rescue mission. And so, like, I'm actually doing neighboring there, and I don't feel like you're counting that. And I want to be really clear about something. In Jesus' economy, clearly all of that is loving your neighbor. I mean, what Jesus does to this guy in the text is brilliant, because right after this, he goes, oh, we're going to play the who is my neighbor game, and he just blows up the definition of neighbor on this guy. He says, listen, your neighbor... When you care for the person in front of you, no matter who it is, where you are, you're loving your neighbor. And so I want you to hear something. I don't want to diminish all the amazing ways that we can love our neighbor. Everything that I just mentioned, of course, in Jesus' economy, that's loving your neighbor. But here's the deal. All of that doesn't somehow sprinkle magic fairy dust over our actual neighbors, and all of a sudden Jesus wasn't talking about them. And it's really easy to drift into a way of living where that's the case. And I know that because I've done it. Right here in this one little verse, this guy, if you want to know how to like become a pastor who's not engaged in his own neighborhood, all you have to do is do what this guy did. His first thought when he gets confronted with this concrete idea of loving your neighbor, his first thought is, I wonder if I can define that word neighbor so that it most easily fits into what I'm already up to. I'll read it to you again. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? His first thought was like, I wonder if I can just like, massage the definition of that word neighbor. That's how I ended up not engaged in my own neighborhood. I just defined the word neighbor and the idea of loving my neighbor so that it most easily fits in to what I was already doing. It was the most convenient way for me to feel like I was living it out. And I think if we're honest, there's a lot of us that have drifted into that. And I just want to tell you what's on the other side of this is the kingdom. What's on the other side of being the kind of person who's just willing to say, all right, God, I believe that you've placed me where I am for a reason and you've placed other people here. I believe that there's something sacred going on right outside my front door of my apartment, my condo, my townhome, my house, my ranch, whatever it is, whoever you are in this room, we all have neighbors. And so what happened to me is I just started to like drive in and out of my neighborhood and God just started to open up my eyes to say, hey, I'm up to something here. Do you want to be a part of it? Are you willing to just start taking some small baby steps to engage with what's happening in the place where you lay your head down to rest every single night. And for me, it's been a lot like having kids. I don't know, for those of you who have kids, I don't know what your experience has been like, but mine has been like this. It's really, really hard. And I don't ever want to go back. And that's how I would describe what it's like to start engaging and to taking some baby steps with the people right outside your front door. And so what I would encourage you to do is to to do this. If you don't know the names of the people who live right around you, or if you can't remember their names, I think that's a great starting point. To just say, I'm going to make a commitment to learn and retain and to write down the names of the people who God has put right around me. And maybe you do know the names. Or maybe in a month you're going to. And if that's the case, I would just encourage you to pray this really simple, dangerous prayer. And it goes like this, God, what's the next small step that you want me to take with one of the people who lives around me? And I started to do this. I started just to get quiet and to spend like 30 seconds just saying, God, just give me a thought, a nudge, give me anything. And what I found is that when I get still, and if I ask God, something this concrete and this clear, I am shocked at how often he puts something on my heart. And so today, I would just love to to move into our time of reflection by by just giving us some space to do that. We just take about 30 seconds together and just get still before God and just say, God, what's, what's the next small step? that you want me to take with one person who lives nearby.
0: So we'll just bow our heads, and then I'll finish us with a quick prayer. God,
1: would you just give us insight into what you're up to, and would you just help each one of us be able to to see what the next small step is that you want us to take with one person who lives around us.